Hello and welcome again to Lost in Science across Australia on the Community Radio Network. This is around about half an hour on your radio where we talk about science and boy do we have some science for you this week yeah. from all over the cosmos and other places. Um, we like to th- keep things global. We do. And galactic. And galactic. Intergalactic. <laughs> Intergalactic <laughs> and planetary. Uh Claire, what have you got for us this week? Um, Well, there has been an attack, a bird attack, and not just any bird attack, but um, a big Australian bird attacking a person. So um, no spoilers. I'm not going to tell you what sort of bird it is. It's not Aussie ostrich, is it? But it it isn't Aussie ostrich. (laughs) It isn't pluck a duck. It is a different sort of bird. It's a large bird from northern Queensland. Um, And I'm going to talk a little bit about the attacks and why they have been attacking or why they have in the past attacked humans. Interesting to find out. Chris? Well, I have, um, I'm covering one of the big stories of the, of the scientific moment, the, um, the famous black hole photo that was taken recently. That was all the donut, the the, the orange donut. Yeah. And, um, I'm sure everyone's really impressed by it, but I thought we'd just go, go have a look at it, see how they did it, what it all means, what you're actually seeing in that photo. Because I've had a lot of people asking me questions like, why does it look like a black hole? Have they just, you know, put a black circle up and faked it? And no. Is it just is it just someone doing a blurry ring with their finger yeah, yeah, in, in yeah, dodgy lighting? Yeah, there's, yeah. A lot of, there's a lot of scepticism out there, I can tell. So, <laughs> you know. Set the record straight. Set the record straight, indeed. Stu, what about you? Well, I am bringing it all back home because home is where the heart is. I'm going to be talking about um, (laughs) generating organs for transplant. And there's some new breakthroughs in potentially organ regeneration using people's own cells for regenerating organs they need replaced. I'll tell you about that more later in the show. So stay tuned. There are many dangerous birds out there, especially when it comes to them preying on other species like raptors and whatnot. But only three birds that have reported to have been reported to have killed humans. Can you guess what they are? Now, first, firstly, though, we're not talking about the avian flu or anything like that. We're talking about the birds actually I'm killing talking people about bird directly. attacks resulting yep. in deaths of people. Yep. Okay. I'm going to go yep. goose. Oh, goose. Yeah, because they're pretty mean. Yeah. They, they, what was the one that yeah. flew into Fabio's face oh. 20 years ago? <laughs> yeah. I didn't kill him, though. <laughs> didn't kill him. Didn't kill him. Didn't no. kill him. Just flew into his face and he had bird all over his face. Okay. What about, what about emus? Because there was a great emu war in Australia in the 1920s um, where the emus won. The emus yeah, won yeah. Well, um, um, they might have won the battle, but they didn't win the war. Uh, well, they didn't kill anyone. It's not no, emus. Okay. Um, all right. I'm going to think of the only other big bird I can think of is the ostrich. Yes. Ostriches have and continue to this day to kill a lot of people in South Africa. Oh. Yep. Yep. Because um, they're, they're quite, they're really quite big, aren't they're they? They're very big. Yeah, yeah. Biggest, biggest bird by weight and height, I guess, in the world. So they're bigger than emus. They are bigger than emus. Yeah. Yep. yep. Um, um, what's another big bird? I can't think of any other really big ones. The rhea? Well, there's three. So one of the other ones is your regular, um, regular household um, people eat it a lot. Chicken? Yes. How do chickens kill people? Well, it was a rooster that had been trained to fight. And you know when they're, yeah, in that 
in that awful um, sport, um, they have blades strapped to their oh. feet. So um, then it then it like it chived someone. It yeah, it basically it killed knifed someone. somebody. It knifed well, someone. Yeah, he had some special. Specialized equipment. He's like a super rooster, basically. He was a super rooster. Anyway, the third one is the cassowary. Oh, Oh, of course. Of course, the cassowary. They are huge, too. They are huge. They are blue and red killers. They look angry all the time. They look angry all the time. Yeah. um, They live in Queensland and Papua New Guinea. Smaller emus, pretty much, but have that big crest on their head. Mm -hmm. So, look very, very reminiscent of dinosaurs. Yeah, they do look like some of the, well, certainly some of the pictures I've seen, but maybe they base the pictures of dinosaurs on, on the, the cassowary. cassowary. Especially if you look at cassowary feet, mm. um, which are huge talons mm. that are very, very powerful. Now, we're talking about cassowaries today and the interactions they have with people. And we're doing that because recently it's just been reported that a 75-year-old Florida man was killed by a cassowary in Florida. He was keeping a cassowary on his farm. Uh, reportedly, he fell over. I don't know if the cassowary pushed him. I don't know. Um, but then the cassowary jumped on him and um, crushed him and thrashed him um, with its talons. And he died on the way to the, on, to the hospital in the ambulance. So why, that's why was he keeping a cassowary on his farm? Why was he keeping a cassowary? They're extremely dangerous. Yeah. Yeah. So. But, I mean, people keep, we, you know, apes and all sorts of things that they probably shouldn't keep around the house. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's very unusual. It's a, So it, it's pretty much, um, yeah, this is the second incidence of a cassowary killing someone. So the first time resulted in a confirmed death in 1926, and that was a group of teenage boys who were actually out hunting cassowaries, found a cassowary. Um, one of the boys was once again thrown to the ground and the um, cassowary jumped on top of it and went with its talons thrashed at its thro- at the boy's throat and, um, and yes, yeah, slashed his jugular vein with its long toenail. So that's pretty horrific. Yeah. But that, I mean, that's, that's been a long time since cassowary deaths. And anyway, there's, there's, some, there's some gruesome and terrifying stories out there. Um, they're rapidly giving cassowaries um, a bad name as a dangerous bird. Um, but given how but they much, are a dangerous bird, surely. Well, I mean, two deaths in, um, that's fair, yeah. you know, a bit less than 100 years, yeah. I wouldn't say is that dangerous. Mm, compared to chickens. Compared I think, <laughs> to chickens. I think probably. <laughs> well, maybe not. Probably the the lesson to take from this is don't keep them on your farm and don't don't go hunting them. them. Yes, but also um, more so than that, I mean, this is a science show. This is not a place to whip up fear around endangered species um, who are no doubt we are doing more damage to um, than they're doing to us. Um, So I thought I'd have a look at some of the research around these cassowary attacks. And there is um, a article that was published in the Journal of Zoology, it's a little bit dated now, 1997, Um, but what they found was that uh, cassowaries' main priorities, (laughs) this is cassowary priorities, in any attack was for it to get hold of scraps of food. So food was always a priority for a cassowary in any attack. Um, 
now that's, that's, that's interesting isn't it so yeah it's not taking this direct personal attack on it. it it's basically going i still need food i need food you've yeah. got food um and they mow people down in their eagerness to get food so unsurprisingly if they get this idea that humans have food or they've been fed by humans in the past then um they assume that maybe you know past experience will inform future success and maybe yeah mow yeah. you down as well um, so the researchers looked at 221 attacks of, from cassowaries. 150 were on humans, which is quite a lot. 35 were on dogs. Mm. Um, three were on horses. 35 were on windows and doors. <laughs> and one was on a cow. Wow. Yeah. It's a bit intense, isn't it? I'm surprised it? that there's more on windows and doors than on a cow. But are we talking glass windows and doors? I mean, yeah. glass windows, yeah, yeah. obviously, so but glass obvi- doors as glass, well? Yeah. So, yeah, yeah okay, that, ma- that makes a bit more sense. Yeah. So basically attacking themselves. They could have been attacking themselves. They could have been trying to get food that was behind the door. Maybe there were fridge doors. So, <laughs> so of the 150 that were um, attacks on humans, on, um, all but two of them were connected with food. Um, so the researchers believe that increased contact with humans is largely to blame for cassowaries associating people with food. Um, you see the southern cassowary, which is confined to coastal forest areas in northern Queensland around Cairns, um, and it sort of lives where housing and roads have um, encroached on most of its habitat and its natural ranges. Um, so it has a declining um, amount of food to, to eat. Now, it's um, it acts quite aggressively towards humans, whereas in contrast, um, you've got the uh, unstressed cassowaries in big tropical forest reserves north of Cairns um, who are a lot shyer and rarely attack people. I mean, this sort of makes fairly good sense. So I guess the science lesson here, though, um, is don't have, like you said, don't have a cassowary on your farm. Don't go hunting cassowaries. And also don't feed the cassowaries because uh, if you do, you'll be putting not only yourself in danger uh, but every other person into a very terrifying position. Um, yeah, because they don't forget. They're testing the boundaries. Mm. Yeah. So, again, are you saying we should be wary or are you saying we just shouldn't share our casserole? <laughs> I'm going to leave you with some haunting and horrifying sounds of a cassowary in attack mode. Enjoy.
Okay, yes, you're listening to Lost in Science. And if you're listening to Lost in Science, I have little doubt that you have seen the breathtaking photo of a black hole that was recently taken by the Event Horizon Telescope. It's pretty exciting. Yeah. It was an incredible achievement. Team of about 215 scientists involved. Um, and But if you are a listener to, a, a listen to, to Lost in Science, then you would have already known about it because I think we talked about this uh, in 2017. I uh, checked my notes. We've already, you know. A bit of a chat about the Black Hole Telescope. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. we did. Yeah, yeah. We definitely did. Anyway, but let's talk about it again. And this is a very visual story because we're talking about a photo. But um, Claire, could you describe the picture for us? Um, okay, so the, um, there's, there's a lot of black. But then there, <laughs> then you've got a donut, a golden donut with a black center. Right. And it kind of glowing a bit on one side. It's glowing a bit on one side, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So like an orange donut and there's a glowing bit on, on one side yes, of it. Yes, yes. The southern side. The southern side, some would say. Yes. That's very good. Thanks, Claire. <laughs> Didn't require much assistance there at all. Anyway, um, yeah. So this is this is the picture, the famous picture of a black hole. Now, this is a picture of a supermassive black hole that's at the centre of the galaxy M87 in the constellation Virgo, which is 55 million light years away. That's pretty far. It is far. Just to give you a sense of scale, our galaxy is like about 100,000 light years across. Um, the nearest major galaxy to us is the Andromeda Galaxy, which is two and a half light years away. So wow, this is a decent distance. Wow. I mean, in universal terms, it's still, I guess, fairly close, but you know, it's, it's a long way to the shop. Is this the furthest we've had photos taken? No. No. I mean, well, it's... We've taken photos of things right, you know, from the other side of the universe, basically the visible universe that we can see. But this is this is um, resolving something of this size is, you know, an actual picture of something of this size. So, look, it is fairly big. As I said it's a supermassive black hole. Like it is six and a half billion times the mass of our sun. And the weird way the mass of black holes work, that um, the radius is proportional to their, their mass. So this one is quite large. It's, um, it's, it's basically around the same size as our whole solar system. In, in diameter. So it's quite large, but still it is 55 million light years away. So resolving something like that, um, yeah, it's still, it's very difficult. Uh, it's, it's, been, it's been compared to seeing an orange on the surface of the moon. Wow. Yeah. So quite is, is there an orange on the surface of the moon? Is that what you're saying? No. Well, we don't know. We haven't got a telescope that's good enough to see it. We could have asked Neil. Well, he didn't go everywhere. It's true. Yeah. True. Maybe he left the orange though. So, but this isn't this isn't really one photograph, is it? It's it's a it's a combination of lots and lots of yeah, it's pictures of the same thing. Okay, well, look, before we go and talk about what the, what's actually in the picture, let's let's yeah, let's look at how this was taken. So, yeah, it is like seeing an orange on the surface of the moon. Now, to see very small things, the way it works, you need a very very large telescope. In this case, they wanted to use a radio telescope the size of the Earth. Because that's the biggest thing we could get is the Earth. I suppose. We can, it's harder to build something bigger so far. Yeah. yeah. Now, they use, it's a radio telescope because, um, you know, there's a lot of radiation that comes from around, originally around a black hole, but uh, radio waves, particularly of 1.3 millimetre wavelength, um, nicely penetrate a lot of the gas and dust and things that gets in the way. So they're good for seeing this kind of thing. Um, yeah, but you can't build a radio telescope with a dish the size of the Earth for obvious reasons. It would get in the way of a lot of people's daily jobs. Um, so what they did is they basically made a virtual telescope by um, having a bunch of telescopes around the world. In fact, they had telescopes in Arizona, Mexico, Spain, Hawaii, Chile, and Antarctica. 
And they kind of joined their observations together to make, as I said, a virtual telescope with essentially the size of the Earth. Um, now, obviously, you're still not getting a full dish there. You've got these little points, so you're not seeing kind of full picture. But as the Earth rotates, you get to see a few different angles and you get to fill in part of the picture. And this is what they did. They had like um, observations were made on a couple of days in April in 2017. So yes, it also took them a while to turn this into something. So they, they essentially had a few observations um, as the Earth rotated on those days. Now, so you, sort of get, you sort of get an arc at, from each telescope as it moves past the point yeah. photographing. Yeah, and yep. you kind of supposed to get a few pixels of this picture, and then you got to figure out what it what it um, what it looks like. And that's where the complicated imaging stuff has has come about. Now, you might have seen um, uh, um, Katie Baum, researcher Katie Bauman. Um, she's kind of become the unofficial face of the project, uh, and she was one of the, the researchers who was responsible for. Um, un, unpacking the image or reconstructing the image from these these few pixels. Now it's a hugely complicated thing. Now she first got she's basically a computer expert scientist. Um, scientist, and, yeah, yeah. And There's she, a name for them. Yeah, she first got um, heard about the project in 2013. She was a graduate student. Uh, the project had been going on for a few years then, but she got involved in it and she developed an algorithm to try and piece this together. Now. Um, it's it's hugely complicated. Um, don't really ask me to explain how it works. It kind of involves training the algorithm to to see what what a black hole should look like. So they use models of what the black hole should look like to try and train the algorithm. But of course, you have to then use kind of other pictures as well to make sure you're not just seeing exactly what you expect to see. It's very complicated. She's got a TED talk on it. You can look up online. I recommend that. But um, yeah, so she used that. There was a few other teams working as well because again, you don't just want one person doing it. You need sort of verification. But her algorithm was the first to reconstruct the image, which is that famous photo where she was like the first person to see a photo of a black hole. So... It is, it is pretty amazing. And of course, yeah, what you saw was this kind of fuzzy orange donut. Um, now, what you're actually seeing there, the, the black hole bit in the center is the black hole, of course. You're seeing, it's called, this, is called, this project was called the Event Horizon Telescopes. So we're trying to visualize the event horizon. Um, so let's start there. The event horizon is what we consider the radius of a black hole, the edge of a black hole. And it is the, basically the point where the gravity is so strong the light cannot escape, which is what makes it a black hole. So... Um, Essentially, there the escape velocity is, from the gravitational field is the speed of light. So the escape velocity normally, if you fired a rocket straight up, then the escape velocity is the velocity you need for that rocket to go at to escape and into space indefinitely. So at the event horizon, not even light is fast enough to escape. You got it? Yeah. 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 So yeah, that's what the event horizon is. Now, general relativity, Einstein's general theory of relativity applies there as well. It bends space and time, which means sort of weird effects happen. Time kind of stops at the event horizon as well. So it gets kind of all sort of, you know, strange stuff going on. Um, but we can't see what's happening there anyway because light can't escape. So let's not worry about that too much here. What we're seeing is the stuff around the black hole. Okay, so um, if the black hole that's sucking in stuff is going to have a kind of a disk around, like an accretion disk of of stuff that is falling in effectively. And this Accretion? Accretion, accretion, like it's accreting matter. Yes. Um, and this thing rotates very, very fast and gives off a lot of radiation. So that's basically what you're seeing. Now, this one is, this particular black hole um, is kind of pointing nearly straight at us, which we know because it's kind of got this, this jet of plasma coming out of its one of its poles. But regardless of where the black hole is, you basically will see it as this kind of hole with a ring around it. And that's because... Um, the, the gravity of the black hole does bend light. So if you've got the disk, say, 
if the disk, so part of the disk is behind the black hole, then what happens is the light from that will be bent around and come mm. out the front. Um, sometimes some of it will kind of loop around a couple of times before it comes out to see it. So we will, you'll always see the, the ring around the black hole because it's yeah you're seeing be, the, the stuff that's behind it. Um, so it's pretty crazy. But it is brighter on one side, and that is because that is this disk is rotating, and the bright part is where it is coming towards us, and so there's more radiation um, being emitted in that direction towards us. That's why it seems brighter on one side. It's called relativistic Doppler shifting. It's complicated. Um, again, look it up. There's a lot of maths online if you want. Um, so that's, uh, <laughs> that's not terribly helpful. Anyway, but so this is pretty amazing. Now, the next, uh, this was, um, yeah, like a galaxy 55 million light years away. Next, hopefully, they will give us an observation of uh, the black hole at the center of our own galaxy, the supermassive black hole called Sagittarius, Sagittarius A star. Um, it is should be slightly bigger in the picture. It's a lot smaller than the one that they saw in M87, but it's a lot closer. So it should look slightly bigger in the picture. However, there's a lot of stuff because we're looking through the densest part in the galaxy. So it's, it can be hard to take a picture of that. Um, but, you know, um, you know, we kind of know what to expect, but hopefully we'll see something unexpected as well because this is what we do science for, is to try and find out things we don't know, not just to confirm the theories we already have. In the meantime, though, it's incredibly exciting to see a picture of something that we never thought we would able to see. medical biotechnology but the idea of um, being able to grow replacement organs has been around for a while now and we have the surgical techniques to replace things but we don't really have the organs to spare um, so yeah they're all in use yeah they're mostly mostly, mostly. in use um, and the ones that aren't in use don't have very long to get to the people who might need them um, but one of the big issues with organ replacement is that each human has their own specific DNA not to mention other cellular biochemical issues which interfere and reject organs that are not from the same person. Yeah, bad move, humans. What did you do that for? Well, look, that's just part of our immune system. And when it's working well, it stops foreign organisms attacking our bodies, which is really good most of the time. But, you know, most of the things that our immune system rejects would make us ill. So that's good that that's our good. immune system does that. Yeah. Um, but for transplant patients, much of the immune response has to be suppressed to allow the new organ to start working despite those genetic differences. So that's a bad thing. That means they are susceptible to all sorts of other things that can affect their health, basically. Um, so for many years, uh, research was focused on producing actual artificial organs that didn't create the immune reaction. So the artificial heart was one of those examples way back in the 70s. I think the first person received one of those. The issue with those is obviously they need power. They need electricity for the most part to function, and they're not very good at 
getting that from the mm. body's systems of or the body's electrical systems anyway. So that's a bit of a bit of a limitation on that kind of technology. So the other option is to grow new organs using the patient's own tissue, uh, or at least starting with their own cells. Because after all, most of us did that at least once ourselves to get the organs we've got. We just got to figure out how to do it again. Uh, we just need a repeat performance yeah, okay. is what I'm saying. Um, so this is a real drawback. Animal biology is a one-way process, pretty much. It's very hard to get cells that are already a muscle or a nerve to become something else. And that's why stem cell research has been so massive over the last, you know, sort of couple of decades, really. Um, in the last decade or so, there's been successes in manipulating differentiated cells to return to a stem st- a stem cell state, mm. uh, which means they can be further manipulated into becoming whatever cell type is required. So, and some of that research though has been highly controversial, and in fact, you know, retracted as well. Absolutely, yeah. there's there've been all sorts of claims about all of this whole field because yeah. it's so potentially lucrative. Yeah. it does seem to attract a lot of sort of uh, less than um, respectable scientists. But in uh, 2012 at Johns Hopkins in the United States, um, they got human blood cells to revert back into stem cells. And that was, you know, been sort of peer reviewed and and accepted as that they could do that. Incredible. And researchers since then have developed um, those stem cells into kidney cells and fallopian tube cells and brain cells and lung and heart tissue, among other organs. There's about a dozen or so organs that they've got tissues from uh, out of stem cells. But most of these have occurred in petri dishes or in test tubes or conditions like that. So the cells are the same as the type of the organs they're replicating, but they're just blobs of cells Mm. in in a jar, effectively. So organs need more than just being the same cell type to do the job. They have complex biomechanical shapes. They need to perform the actual job they do in the body. Otherwise, it's not going to do anything for you. It's all very well. And you were talking just recently about the brain cells that they've um, measured starting to fire off neurons and things like that, which is really interesting, but we don't really know what it means. At this yeah, point. yeah, the brains in jars. Yeah. So this... Uh, this shape, the biomechanical shape they need, this is where 3D printing comes in. So using stem cells, uh, scientists have published in an open access journal, Advanced Science, good name for a journal, um, that they have more or less printed a copy of a human heart. So they use stem cells and they made this special formula based on other components of human organs. So there's obviously... You know, if you're looking at the heart, there's the heart muscle cells themselves, but there's a whole lot of connective tissue and blood vessels and all sorts of things. So it's no good just getting heart cells or heart muscle cells. You've got to get all the other stuff. So that's what they claim to have done here. And um, they, they think that they've successfully replicated a human heart in physiological, genetic, and biochemical properties of a specific donor. Whoa. So they've taken a specific donor... And made a copy of a heart. That's pretty amazing. That's pretty incredible. That is yeah. pretty incredible. There's a couple yeah. of things. A couple okay. of things. Okay. So have have they actually done this? Well, it looks like they have. There's photos of it. Um, you know, there's there's sort of published it, put it out there for people to see. But they've said quite clearly, the heart is a model of a human heart. It's anatomically correct. Oh, right. 
but it's only about the size of a rabbit's heart. So you couldn't transplant it into a person because it wouldn't pump enough blood. Um, And secondly, it doesn't work. Oh, it doesn't beat. So as I said earlier, there's more to an organ than just the right cells. Um, There's more to them just being in the right place. They have to work together functionally to be an organized organ. And this one doesn't. It is just a model of a human heart, which is exactly the same as what a human heart looks like, but it doesn't work as a heart. So it's, you know, it's it's amazing, but it's still not quite the point it needs to get. So we're still probably a long way to regrow, a long way off being able to regrow functioning organs. Um, but, you know, it's it's an interesting step in, point, the, yeah. in the process. But, you know, maybe in future on Valentine's Day, you could actually give your heart away. Uh, or at least a perfect copy of it anyway. How romantic. That's all we've got time for on this episode of Lost in Science. Thanks for tuning in and joining us. Lost in Science is recorded at the studios of 3CR in Melbourne and broadcast across Australia on the Community Radio Network with the financial assistance of the Community Broadcasting Foundation. If you want to talk to us, talk back to us, uh, you can get in touch. We have a Gmail account, lostinsight at Gmail. Uh, You can also find us on Twitter and on the Facebook Uh, And if that's not enough lost in science for you, you can always tune in again next week where the team will once again get lost Lost in science. listening to a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online.